Telltale Pod Production. Charlie Changes Into a Chicken by Sam Copeland and illustrated by Sarah Horn. The day of the play had finally arrived and there was a buzz of anticipation outside the school with parents, pupils and teachers all chattering excitedly. But not for Charlie, Mosen, Wogan and Flora who had agreed to meet outside to wish Charlie good luck. A black cloud had been hanging over the friends for days. Wogan looked up at the sky. I really wish that black clouds would go away. It's been hanging over us. For days? Yes, agreed Mosin. It's like a metaphor for something, but I can't think what, he said glumly. My impending and certain doom, suggested Charlie. Oh, yeah, Mosin nodded, grinning widely at the newfound connection in his brain. That must be it. Charlie's impending and certain doom. It's not certain, muttered Flora, who was sitting on the ground, eyes closed and brow furrowed, her fingers church steepled at her chin. Charlie, Mosin and Wogan turned to Flora. What do you mean? asked Mosin. I mean, it's not certain. Charlie's doom, Flora replied, not moving a muscle. How can it not be certain? Charlie asked, temper rising in his voice. Since this whole thing started, every time I've got stressed, I've changed into an animal. Every single time. Flora opened her eyes and looked seriously at Charlie, but waited for him to continue. What makes you think that this time... Charlie said, with his face beginning to turn red. When I have to sing a stupid song about a sad potato in front of the whole school, it's going to be any different. It is going to be worse. And I'm going to change into who knows what, probably something totally embarrassing, like a gnu or a naked mole rat. And I'm going to be sent away to some science lab for the rest of my life. That's it. I'm done for. Game over. Charlie finished his rant and glared at Flora, daring for her to reply. Flora looked back, meeting Charlie's stare. Those black clouds are really, really thick now, Wogan said, peering up at the sky. 
it looks like it's about to absolutely rip it down. It's not going to rain, and Charlie won't necessarily change, Flora replied simply. What do you know? Firstly, Charlie, I know you need to stop thinking like that. If you keep convincing yourself you're going to change, then you're just going to make yourself more and more stressed and and then you definitely will change. Oh, great. Thanks for telling me. That'll help. Now it's my fault. I'm not saying it's your fault, Flora said calmly. I'm saying you have the power to change things. Bad things happen, Charlie. Accept them. It's not what happens to you in life. It's how you deal with it that sets you out to be the person you are. You're the bravest person I know, Charlie McGuffin. And whatever happens, you'll deal with it. You're my best friend. And if you change in front of the whole school and the scientists come and take you away, then me and Mosin and Wogan will do everything we can to protect you. Whatever it takes. Mosen and Wogan both nodded their heads vigorously. Charlie swallowed and blinked quickly. He wanted to reply to Flora, but found he had quite lost his voice. Anyway, said Flora, we now know something else about your situation from what you told us about the rhino incident. If you're going to pull out of a window, check that your dad isn't pruning the roses just below, suggested Mosem. That's true, said Flora, but that's not what I'm getting at. I'm talking about laughter. Once you started laughing, Charlie, you changed back immediately. Oh, yeah, said Charlie. So, continued Flora, businesslike, we therefore know the following. One, you turn into an animal when you get stressed. Two, Deep breathing and relaxing helps to slow it down, but it doesn't stop it. Three, happiness changes you back. Now, that might not be the complete answer to everything that's going on, but it's an awful lot more than we knew when you first started changing. We are close to a cure, Charlie. So close. Mr. O'Dea, the Irish caretaker, started ringing a handbell barking at everybody to start taking their seats. The four friends walked back towards their classroom to get ready for the play, all of them lost in a thought about Charlie's problem. Apart from Wogan, who was wondering if a naked mole rat was a real animal or not. Behind them, unnoticed, a split appeared in the black clouds overhead, and a shaft of golden sunlight broke through. They may have been closer to the cure, but it still felt like a million miles away to Charlie. He had watched with dread through the curtains as the hall had filled up with parents and children until almost every seat was taken, apart from some in the front few rows. Now, pale-faced, he was stood backstage, all dressed up in his potato outfit, heart pounding in his mouth. Good luck wishes from Flora and Mosin still rang in his ears. 
Wogan was already on stage. Charlie could hear him with Cara. In a matter of minutes, he would have to go on himself. You're going to change, came a sudden whisper in Charlie's ear. It was Dylan, looking painfully smug in his carrot costume. And don't think you're going to get away with it this time, MacGuffin. I'm going to make sure everyone sees. There's nothing you can do to stop me. Charlie found he had nothing smart to say back to Dylan. He was right. Well, what do you want from me, Dylan? You expect me to go bananas or cry or punch you? No, Mr McGuffin. I expect you to change. Oh, God, you are just so completely insane. The distance between insanity and genius is measured only by success, Dylan replied, eyes ablaze. Hang on, said Charlie in disbelief. Are you quoting James Bond villains at me? Goodbye, Mr McGuffin. And with that, Dylan turned around and walked away. It was time. Flora and Mosin sat in the audience, biting their fingernails. Their own fingernails, not each other's. Neither dared breathe as they waited for Charlie to come out on stage for his big song. And then... Out of the corner of her eye, Flora saw somebody slipping into a seat near the front of the audience. Somebody she wasn't expecting to see. Somebody Charlie really wasn't expecting to see. And it gave her a brilliant idea. Charlie closed his eyes for a moment stealing himself. Then he stood up and walked into the wings. It was dark, and just before he stepped on the stage, he felt a tap on his shoulder. It was Dylan. Grinning his smug grin, he produced a key from beneath his costume with a dramatic flourish and waved it in front of Charlie's face. And then locked the door they had just walked through. Then, with a final, even smugger grin, he walked out onto the stage. Dylan had locked the door. Charlie's only exit was blocked. If he started changing on stage now, he couldn't just escape through the wings. He'd have to try to run all the way through the audience. With a heavy, sinking feeling, Charlie realised that Dylan had destroyed his one chance of escape. Charlie trudged out onto the stage where Dylan was waiting for him, expectantly. It was hot and bright. Two spotlights were shining onto the stage, one trained directly on Dylan, one on Charlie. Charlie blinked into the glare. 
It was so bright that he couldn't see out into the audience. It was a sea of black behind the light. But he could feel them waiting, rustling, hushed. Trickles of sweat were running down his forehead and back. His palms were wet. He was already feeling dizzy. Dylan, a victorious look on his face, turned to Charlie, looked at him in the eye and mouthed one word. Change! And then Dylan started singing. A carrot had never sounded happier. Straight away it started. Charlie's heart began to beat faster and his stomach plummeted. His eye began to twitch. Then his other eye began to twitch. Before Dylan was halfway through his song, Charlie could feel fire racing through his body, his nerves searing with electricity. This was it. He was changing in front of the whole school. Even from where she was sitting in the audience, Flora could see Charlie's eyes glaze over with fear. Deep down in the pit of her stomach, she knew it was all about to go terribly, terribly wrong. She knew Charlie was changing, and she knew exactly what she needed to do. She jumped out of her seat and began pushing past people, running towards the back of the hall. Colm Flower, the beefy year six captain of the school rugby team, was manning Charlie's spotlight. He looked up in surprise as Flora appeared by his side. What do you want? he asked. I need to borrow that spotlight for a minute, she said, smiling sweetly. Bug off, replied Colm. Now, that's not very polite, replied Flora. I'll give you till a count of three. One, two. Dylan was reaching the end of his song. Charlie's body was fizzing, explosions of electricity inside him. It was happening. Breathe, Charlie told himself. tried taking slow, deep breaths, calming himself. In, out, in, out. But although the fire and the electricity racing through his veins was slowing, it wasn't stopping. Dylan finished a song and took a bow. The audience applauded. Silence fell. Everybody waiting for Charlie to sing. Seconds felt like years. Then Charlie felt his body change. The insides of his body squeezing. Underneath his costume, his body started to itch. Hair sprouting on his legs, on his back, on his stomach, his face. This was it. It was all over. Free! There was a yell of pain and a sudden clattering sound from the back of the hall and the spotlight swung off Charlie, plunging him into darkness. 
Charlie's arms were lengthening. He could reach the stage floor with them. Charlie knew no one could see him now, but that wouldn't last. When the spotlight swung back onto him, the whole world would know he was a freak. But the spotlight didn't come back onto him. Instead, it arced into the audience, strafing the front few rows until it landed on one person. A boy, a bit older than Charlie, wearing a hat to cover his boldness. Charlie couldn't believe what he was seeing. It was impossible. There, sat between Charlie's mum and dad, was Smooth Move. And Charlie knew this could only mean one thing. The scan was good. His big brother didn't need that operation. After all, he was coming home. Charlie felt his heart burst with joy and relief and as all those happy feelings flooded through him, he immediately felt himself changing again, changing back to who he should be. A small nine-year-old boy standing awkwardly on stage in a potato costume in a strange school play about vegetables in love. And at the very moment Charlie felt he was completely back to normal, the spotlight swung back onto him. Next to Charlie, looking utterly furious, Dylan glared at him. Charlie winked at Dylan, then closed his eyes and took a deep breath. And then Charlie sang with happiness bursting out of every fibre in his body, and with a smile plastered across his face, a song about a sad potato. And that's that, or thereabouts. There are still a few things to wrap up, and then there will be time for questions. Miss Fire and Mr Wind were disappointed with Charlie for grinning like a loon all the way through his song. Charlie grinned all the way through his telling off too, at which point Mr Wind and Miss Fire began to worry Charlie had a screw loose. In fact, Mr Wind and Miss Fire were so disappointed, they immediately had to go off to a local wine bar together to discuss what went wrong with the play and how it could be improved next year. Dylan remained furious with Charlie for a long time. He had been the only one to see Charlie change into a chimpanzee and the only one to see him change back. His plans had come to nothing, but he would spend many days, weeks and months planning and plotting how he could expose Charlie to the wider world for the freak that he was. Mosin and Wogan remained in awe of Flora. They also remained slightly terrified of Flora. No one knew exactly what Flora had said or done to Colm Flower in order to gain control of the spotlight on the night of the play, but he now ran the other way down the corridor whenever he saw her coming. Flora stayed exactly the same. And so she should, because she's awesome.
The MacGuffins were a family, together again. Smooth Move was back home and, although it took some time, he got completely better. It didn't take any time at all for him to beat Charlie at FIFA though. And Charlie, he had his brother back and he never changed into an animal again. Well, not for a while, at least. as much as I enjoyed writing it. A lot more actually because to be honest writing it was a pretty dreadful experience. My fingers still have blisters. So questions. Charlie nine years old asks my name is Charlie and I am also nine years old. Is this book about me? Do you turn into animals, Charlie? No? Exactly. Well, the book isn't about you then, obviously. Josh, nine, from Whitstable asks, If this book was so miserable to write, why did you even bother doing it? And it's not even a particularly long book. It's only just over 27,500 words. That's not long for a book. The Harry Potter series is over a million words. That's over 35 times as long as your book. Oh, marvellous. It's Josh from Whitstable again. Didn't you ask enough questions last time? Well, to answer your question, yes, the Harry Potter series is 40 times longer than this book, but do you know what? It's not the quantity of words that matters. It's the quality. And I like to think that one word in this book is equal to about 40 words from J.K. Rowling waffling on about Professor Bumblebore and Severus Snooze, right? Right? Bethany, aged two, from a couple of houses down the road, asks, Why did you have to make Dylan so mean? Let me tell you something, Bethany. I didn't make Dylan mean. Life made him mean. Dylan has had a tough time and deep down he's really unhappy. And most angry or unpleasant people are almost always, deep down, very unhappy. Emily, 10, from Frimpton-on-Sea, asks, Is there a deeper meaning to this book? Exactly what important message are you trying to give the reader? Because if you don't have a deeper meaning, then this is just a silly story about a boy who turns into animals. Thank you for the question, Emily. 
Emily, 10, from Frimpton-on-Sea, asks, Are you trying to avoid the question? You do have a deep and important message behind the book, don't you? Of course, I am not avoiding the question. And of course, I have a deep message in the book, and the message is... The message is... Oh, look behind you! There's a big flying thing! Oh no, you just missed it! It's gone now! Never mind. Anyway, what what were we talking about? Next question, please. Nathanella Vogelflum, 67, from Banjacks on Thames, asks, I noticed the previous questioner, Bethany, was only two years old. Are you just making all these people up? Are the questions even real? What is real, Nathanella? Are you real? Am I real? Does it actually matter what's real and what isn't? Charlie, nine years old, asks, You actually didn't let me answer your question. You just answered for me. In answer to your question, yes, actually, I do turn into animals. And my surname is McGuffin. And my best friends are Wogan, Mosen and Flora. This book is clearly based on my life. And I did not give you permission to turn my life story into a poorly written book. I have sought legal advice and I will see you in court. This is a question and answer session, Charlie. You just gave a series of statements there and no question. And I have also sought legal advice. Unfortunately, they have told me to stop writing immediately. There would have been loads more in the book. Loads of stuff that would have been way better. But now I'm not allowed to write anymore. Big shame. You've spoiled everyone's fun, Charlie McGuffin. I hope you're happy. Dear reader, many of you have written to our esteemed company to complain about the lack of chickens in this story. You were explicitly promised by the author on the very cover of this book that the central character would turn into a chicken. We are saddened to report that the author lied to you. He drew you in with promises of chickens and then betrayed your trust. That is unforgivable. We were similarly taken in by the author's deceit. We published this book in good faith and the lack of chickens has come to a shock and disappointment to us too. We can only apologise to you, our valued readers, and assure you that this situation will not arise again. 
the editor responsible for checking chicken inclusions, has been dismissed. And we have agreed that all future books published by our company shall include at least one chicken. Some of our forthcoming chicken featured publications include Lord of the Wings, Moby Chick, The Adventures of Cluckleberry Finn, and Great Egg Spectations by Charles Chickens. Needless to say, we shall not be working with the author again. He is a disreputable liar and a writer of little talent. We recommend that you never read any more of his tawdry tales. With deepest respect and humble apologies, yours faithfully, The Publisher. That was another Telltale Pod production. Remember that you can follow, share, and find more of our podcasts at tellatalepod.podbean.com. And if you really like the podcast, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash tellatalepod.com.